0: If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's uh, some Bibles underneath the chairs uh, out there. On, uh, If you want to open up to Matthew 7 and follow along with us, I'll be talking about the passage that we're looking at together. Um, one of the... Uh, Practices uh, here in our church is that when uh, we do our teaching on Sunday mornings, I just go right through books of the Bible um, and just take whatever passage is next and we uh, study the scripture together. But I kind of break up the books so that, you know, we're in Matthew, which is 28 chapters long. Instead of spending a year and a half or something on Matthew, I'll just take the first seven chapters. And uh, starting next week, we're going to be actually shifting gears and t- returning to 1 John. Last summer, we started uh, studying uh, the book of 1 John. And uh, we're going to be looking at the second half of 1 John starting next week. So this is our last week in uh, in Matthew. We're finishing the Sermon on the Mount, which has been just uh, a delight uh, for me to study. And so um, we're going to be looking, uh, starting in verse 15, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, before we turn to God's Word, let me just make a couple announcements. Uh, first of all, um, our church is hosting a pancake bash uh, June 29th at uh, 10 a.m. in the morning. It's, uh, it's going to have games and breakfast for kids. This is for kids ages 5 and over. So uh, kids, uh, get a little sheet over there. Invite your friends. Bring your friends. And let me just, uh, just as a church, so that you can be praying. Uh, for our church and the mission of our church. Um, we've been, over the last probably year or two, just been praying a lot about what uh, what is the, the direction, How how is our church going to serve our community, especially the Birchwood neighborhood. And uh, we're kind of beginning, maybe you could say, a, a movement, an initiative towards um, uh, discovering how we can serve the children in this neighborhood. You know, we have an a elementary school that's it's. it's about to be torn down, they're going to rebuild, and it's going to uh, reopen in uh, the fall of 2014. And um, so, our location here, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, we live in, uh, our, our church is in uh, the Birchwood neighborhood, is, is one of the the two most or um, l- uh, the lowest income communities in Bellingham. Um, actually, this school before it closed down, I think 70% of, of the kids were on uh, on a, a you know a free lunch or a, you know supported lunch. And um, actually, the, the, um, the old principal there uh, before the school was closed down said that he had one month uh, where he had 30 days in a row in the school where he had um, a police officer uh, in his office to either talk about a student or talk about something that's happening in the family of a student's life. So this is an elementary school and he had 30 straight days of a police officer coming. So, so a lot of kids in this neighborhood that um, are, are in need, they need people around them to love them, to, uh, to support them and share the gospel with them. So this is the beginning of that, uh, movement of that. So uh, Brittany uh, Mutamali's organizing that. We need uh, sign-ups sign though. We'd love, that would be an encouragement for uh, if you're coming to sign up and say, I'm gonna be there, um, but also to pray for this. So there are signups out in the lobby, Kids, get your parents, drag them by the wrist after, and have them sign up for you. And uh, so that's uh, June 29th uh, here at the church. Um, A second announcement I want to make is um, we're going to be starting up again our Mon Flesh uh, evenings. um, uh, uh, This is the fourth Wednesday of the month. We usually do that in the summer and probably into October. So uh, some of you guys who went on the men's retreat, a number of people have said, wow, that was really good to be together with guys. Uh, to get to know people better, to spend time together, to study God's word together. So um, we're going to be continuing that uh, on Wednesday evenings, the fourth Wednesday of the month. So uh, come and be a part of that. Even if you couldn't make it on the retreat, this is your second, your next chance to come hang out with the guys in the church. It's going to be at the Fredette's house at 6.30. We're going to have food there. We're going to have some theology and just uh, and hang out in good, good time. So uh, put that on your calendar and uh, that's up and coming. So that's all we have for announcements. Um, Uh, We're looking at uh, Matthew, the end, the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. And this uh, is the word of the Lord, because he is our teacher. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, and this, of course, is Jesus speaking, if you're just joining us now. Uh, Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter... uh, the And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray together. Our Savior Jesus, it is our joy to sit under your teaching, to call you our Master. And though we are weak, though we are sinful, though we often fail in following you and obeying you, we love to have your word come and expose our lives because you are a gentle savior who welcomes sinners. We pray that your word would now speak to our hearts, draw our hearts um, to repentance and to faith, that we would trust you, that we would know you, that we would love you, that we would obey you and follow you. So we ask for your spirit to come now, and I ask for your spirit to work in the hearts of all that sit here that as your perfect, uh, infallible word, being spoken through a fallible, sinful teacher, would uh, speak truth to your people by uh, the power of your spirit. And we ask that now in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So um, we are in the final week of, of the Sermon on the Mount. It's been uh, four and a half months uh, that we've been looking on. It's just uh, four pages in my Bible of the Sermon on the Mount, but just rich of uh, all the ma- issues that Jesus speaks to and just unpacks our lives, and it's so profound. And um, as Jesus is kind of is concluding his sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, in this passage, these three paragraphs that we just read, um, you know, he's giving a summary of what he's talked about. Okay, what's the main point? You know, so if you haven't been here very much during the Sermon on the Mount, or if you're the kind of person who says, all right, you've said a lot of stuff, you know, break it down for me, what's the main point? What, what's the main thing you want me to take from this? Uh, here it is. Uh, Jesus is making the main point. And because uh, what we see in these closing verses is Jesus uh, saying that there's these two ways to live. Right? We looked at that a couple weeks ago, how there was the two gates. You know, the narrow gate and the wide gate, and there's the two paths, the uh, the, uh, the easy path and the hard path. And now we're, we just saw that there's these two fruit trees, some trees, uh, you know, with different kinds of fruit, and then there's these two houses, one that's built on the sand, one that's built on the rock. There's these two ways to live. And uh, one of the, I've mentioned this as we've gone along in Sermon on the Mount, that one of the things Tim Keller has pointed out to me at least about this, is that usually when we think Jesus says there's two ways to live, we think, well, what he's talking about is there's either a life that's devoted to God, you know, a life where you pray, where you go to church, where you uh, give to the poor, care for the poor, um, you know, you love, you know, a life devoted to the things of God, and then there's a life that doesn't have anything to to do with God. You don't read your Bible, you don't pray, you don't do those things. And Jesus is saying these are the two ways to live. But actually... As you look at the sermon, as we look back into the sermon and say, well, what were the two ways that he was talking about? He never says you should pray, or you should give to the poor, or you should fast. He says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. You know, the people are kind of showing off when they pray and they get up in front of everyone, they want to sound good so everyone will think they're so great. And don't pray, uh, and when you give to the poor, don't, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let people know, don't show it off. He's saying that the two ways to pray are not the religious life and an irreligious life. The two ways to live are both religious lives. Except there's one kind of religious life that Jesus here says leads to hell. Leads to death destruction, you know, poisons your relationships and and alienates you from God. There's a religious kind of life that does that, and there's another kind of religious life that leads to to joy, to a sweetness in your life, a warmth and uh, a love for God and a joy. There's these two kinds of ways, and they're both a religious life, and they look the same on the outside. On the outside, because they're both praying, they're both caring for the poor, they're both going to church, they're both reading the Bible, so on the surface they look the same, and yet there's something profoundly different about these two ways to live. What's the difference? What's the difference between the two ways? Of course the answer is the heart. In much of Jesus' teaching, the thing that he's fascinated with, he's obsessed with so often is his teaching is the human heart. What is happening in the human heart. And he says over and over again, listen, who you are is not who you appear to be to everyone or who you show yourself to be to everyone. Who you are is who God sees you to be in the secret chambers, those hidden chambers way down in the depths of your soul, in your heart. That is who you really are. So you see that in, this, in that verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus' concern is what is happening in your heart. And the question Jesus wants us to ask ourselves is, in these concluding verses, is what is the state of your heart? What is happening in your heart? Because I know, I imagine, for all of you, you come here, there's a lot of things happening in your heart. Some of you, you say, well, what is going on? How does my heart feel? What's happening in my heart? I mean, some of you say, yeah, I feel numb in my heart. I, I feels kind of lifeless, uh, not excited about things. Some of you might say, I feel a bitterness in my heart. Maybe there's a, in, my, in a relationship with a coworker, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a kid, I feel a, a, a bitterness, a resentment growing. Some of you might feel a pride. I don't, I don't want anyone to help me. I'm sufficient for myself. Um, uh, maybe there's burdens. Maybe your heart feels heavy all the time. Maybe your heart feels weak. Maybe things, I feel like God's demanding things of me and and my heart just doesn't have it. People are demanding things of me and my heart just doesn't have what they want to give. There are things uh, that are happening in all of our hearts and um, what's the word that's describing your heart? And Jesus says, if you're my disciple, the place that I want to interact with you, the place that I want to interact with you in your life is in your heart. That's the thing that matters above all else. And so um, that's where the experience of true life with God happens is is in your heart. So what I want to do this morning is uh, look at two things. How are we to understand our hearts? What does Jesus say that we're supposed to, how we're supposed to understand our hearts? And second, how do we let Jesus care for our hearts? How does Jesus say we should understand our hearts? And how do we let Jesus care for our hearts? And I'm going to say three things about each of those. And, um, you know, by the way, this is kind of a good uh, introduction somewhat. Later in the summer, in August, I'm going to be doing a a four-part sermon series on uh, basically kind of lay counseling. How do we as a church counsel one another? You know, a lot of us, a lot of people, you know, a lot of you go to counselors and you say, "I, I, I go, I need someone to talk through my problems with. And a lot of times when you go, you know, sometimes a good counselor, a lot of what they're doing is just learning to listen to you well and just kind of get out what's happening in your heart when ask you good questions. And you think, gosh, maybe we could do some of that for each other, right? We could have a community that could do that for each other. And this is really an introduction into that, of trying to understand our hearts and how Jesus cares, how he interacts, and how God wants to handle our hearts. And so, two things that we're looking at today, and the first is this, how do we understand our hearts? And I want to say three things. First, the heart... Is your hidden reality? The heart is a hidden reality. It's it's secret. You can't see it. So you know now. As I mentioned, you know there's these two two fruit trees, right? These two ways to live, right? But the two fruit trees, you know, it doesn't say that one tree has fruit and the other tree doesn't have fruit. It says that they uh, they both have fruit. They look the same on the outside. They both have fruit, but the fruit is different, right? And there's these two houses. You know, one's built on the sand, one's built on the rock, and you look at them the houses are going to look pretty similar, right? You don't see the foundation. You don't see what they're built on. So on the surface, they look, they look the same. But the reality of them is hidden. It's secret, and it's invisible. And I think, uh, you know that's true in our relationships with other people. You know, a lot of people don't really know what's going on in our hearts. You know, we, even we come here, many of you are here this morning, and, and you're going to maybe greet people. Maybe you were greeting people uh, just in that greeting time, and people don't know what what's hidden inside those chambers in your heart. But I think also the reality is that often we don't know what's going on in our hearts. You know, just yesterday, I kind of, I woke up and I was you know, I was barking at the kids and I, you know, being short with Shannon and, and we sit down to have breakfast and she's sitting there next to me she says, Are you mad at me? I was like, yeah. I haven't really decided why yet. <laughs> but yeah, I am. <laughs> Where'd that come from? I don't even know. I don't even know what was going on in my heart. Yes, I was mad and we had a good laugh and then all of a sudden I wasn't mad anymore. What's going on in there? And this this hidden reality, there is something inside of us that is driving our whole life, and yet um, we don't even know what it is. We don't even know much about it. It's this hidden secret to us. And actually the Bible says that this driver, this thing that's motivating us, that's influencing so much of our lives, is by nature, it's lost, it's fallen, it's alienated from God, it's rebellious, it's bitter by nature... And it's something, uh, this thing that's driving our whole life, and it's something that we often pay no attention to. We just go through our life, and we pay no attention to what's going on uh, in our hearts. And actually, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a great preacher in the 20th century, in the middle of the 20th century, and wrote kind of a famous book called Spiritual Depression. And... um, you know it's another book if if you're interested in books on depression it's it'd be a great resource it's actually a collection of sermons and um in in that book, one of the things he talks about is he's talking about uh Christians as they struggle with depression he says you know part of the problem is that um our, our hearts, our souls, ourselves are telling us what to do. You know, your heart's telling you what to do all the time. Like my, my heart was telling me to, you know, bark at my kids and be short with my wife yesterday. And we're always just doing what it says. And he says, you know, and this is what he says in there. He says, I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. He's saying we we just do what our heart says, but we never turn around and say, you know, wait a second, heart. (laughs) You've said enough. I need to start talking to you. I need to challenge you. I need to ask questions about you. You're telling me what to do all the time, and I'm just listening all the time. But wait, I need to evaluate you. I need to think about you and challenge you. And that's something that we never do because it's hidden from us. It's secret from us. And if we spend our whole life and never pay attention to what are the things that are stirring inside of my heart, it could actually drive my whole life and just lead a trail of destruction and we didn't even know that my heart was causing all that. Okay, so first, how do we understand our heart? Is that it's a hidden reality. It's something that's secret and hidden. And yet also, um, the heart is the source of your life. Your heart is the source of your life. Now, it's very common in our culture to say the most important thing you should do is follow your heart. If, you're, if you have dreams, you have things you want to do, i got to follow my heart, right? And on the, you know, on the one hand, a Christian is going to say, no, don't, please. <laughs> if anything, don't follow your heart. There's, it's full of, of deception and, uh, and selfishness. Don't just follow your heart. But on the other hand, you know, what a Christian is also going to say is, actually, <laughs> you're going to follow your heart no matter what. That's how you live. That's how you were built. You do what your heart tells you to. That's that's what your, your heart is, your will. You always follow your heart. You have no choice in the matter. And actually, this is exactly what Jesus says in another place. In Mark 7, he says, This people honors me with their lips. He's quoting Isaiah. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See how he's he's investigating the heart. He's fascinated with the heart. And then he says this, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, uh, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. These things are just coming out of us. We do what our heart tells us to, and I, you know, actually, this is something I'm often telling my kids. You know, uh, one of the things that, you know, if you have young kids and you're really being diligent to discipline them, you're talking about sin all the time. And one of the little conversations I have when I'm talking to my kids, I bring them in the other room, and we're talking through something they did. And I say, you know, look at your heart, look at what happened. You know, you, your mom loves you. <laughs> And you love her. Don't you love her? Yeah, I love my mom. She's great. I think she's great. Then why did you just hit her in the face? <laughs> or why did you just lie to her? Why did, uh, you know, why did you just run away when she told you could? Why did you just ignore her? What was going on? And, uh, and they say, I don't know. I don't know why that didn't. I say, it just came out. It just comes out of your heart. It's because that's, you have a heart of sin. And it's the source of your life. And it just tells you what to do. And, I, and this is, by the way, if you're a parent, that's the time. They should be hearing the gospel over and over. It's, you have a heart of sin, but Jesus takes your heart of sin. And he gives you a new heart. He gives you the Holy Spirit, and he washes the sin out of you. And we can't take it. You see, and I even stand there. I'm like, you see, you can't take it out of there. You can't take it out. Only Jesus can take it out. And, um, but that's the thing of our heart is it's the source of our life, and, and we follow our hearts. And this is exactly what Jesus says here, verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. The tree brings forth what its nature is. Whatever it's in its nature, whatever's inside of it is just what's going to come out. And uh, Jesus says you can't help doing it. And, um, and the issue now, one of the, things, the reasons why this is so important to Jesus is because if we don't ever attend to the matters of our heart, if we pay no attention. Then what we're going to do is we're going to fill our life with all kinds of religious things. We're going to pray. We're going to go to church. We're going to, uh, you know, read our Bible. We're going to serve. We're going to do all these things, but we're never dealing uh, with the matters of our heart. And what he says is you will be bearing fruit. Right? You're going you're gonna, to uh, serve people. You're going to do things. You're going to go to church. You're going to sing God's praises. And yet, the fruit is going to be poisonous. It's not going to be sweet to people. It's not going to be refreshing. It's going to be poisonous. You know, it's kind of like I remember when I was a kid, there were these bushes by our house. I don't know how many times I ate these berries. They just look so good. They have to be good. They have to be good. And I never learned. And I said, I'm going to try it again and they probably could have killed me. I don't even know. You know, There's some berries, but I just keep eating they were bitter and sour, and yet they looked good. And that's what Jesus is saying, is we can fill our life with religious things, but if we are never attending to the matters of our heart, the, the fruit will be, will be poisonous. And uh, it will look good, but it won't, uh, it won't taste right. It won't have that flavor, that sweetness, that refreshment that fruit should have, that we won't be that to other people. And uh, actually, and that's why our heart needs to be transformed by the Lord. And, and I, you know, I had a good friend in uh, in high school, my best friend actually, he was a Mormon. And, uh, I, and I, I haven't talked to him in a while. He's a s- sweet guy, I love him. And we would have lots of conversations about the Bible and God and things. And most of the conversations didn't go anywhere because I would just say, oh, you know, you think you're going to have your own planet? And, and, you know, and he'd always get, why are you talking, speak so meanly about my... Uh, uh, about my religion, you know, why don't you be kinder to me? And so, you know, we never really got anywhere, so we just talked about other things. But um, I, later in college, we had this conversation where I was talking to him about how grace transforms your heart. That when you realize, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a deep sinner. I can't change my heart. I can't take the sin out of my heart. I'm just bitter. I'm proud. I'm, I'm resentful. I'm, I'm selfish. All these things just come out of me. I can't change it. And yet God forgives me. And he loves me. And His love transforms my heart so that when I go out, I actually want to love people. And I'm not just doing good things, I actually care about people. And I'd never, He'd never opened up to me before. And then all of a sudden, He opened up He said, you know what? I look at my religious life, and you know, I go to these, uh, this old folks home every week, and I care for these old people. I don't love them. I know I don't love them. I don't even care about them. I just go do it every week. And I'm just putting on a show, and he says, everyone I know is just doing that. I know that we don't love these people. And this isn't to dis, you know, put down Mormons. Uh, this, is, this can be just as true for us, that the heart is never being dealt with. And what Paul says, he says exactly this. If I, this is a famous passage in First Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, my heart has not been transformed. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, right? if I'm this teacher and I teach about the gospel and teach about Jesus and I know all these things, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And this really comes to the third thing that we need to understand uh, about... Uh, understand about our hearts is first that it's a hidden reality. Secondly, it's a source of our life and that we have sinful hearts that are, are just driving us. No ma- we follow our hearts no matter what. The third thing is that the heart is the object of judgment. The heart is the object of judgment. And... Um, there's no way, I don't think, <laughs> to get around, you know, I just read these three paragraphs in the, the closing of, uh, of Jesus' sermon, and there's no way to get around there. All three paragraphs end with a statement of judgment, right? This is, uh, look at verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's how he concludes that statement, that paragraph, verse 23. And then I will declare to you, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. All three of these are descriptions of judgment. And let me just say, by the way, if you're here and you're kind of uncomfortable with that, and say, ooh, you know why has the Bible got to talk about God judging people all the time? And uh, isn't that a little primitive that there's going to be this judge and he's got the gavel and the robe and the books are open? Isn't that... Uh, aren't we, haven't we moved beyond that? Well, one of the things to say is that um, the probably most severe statements about judgment and hell, they all come from Jesus' mouth. I haven't moved beyond Jesus. I, and, and I take his words very seriously. Jesus took it very seriously. But I think one of the things that... Um, that it is important for us to understand is that the Bible says that every single one of us will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. That day is coming where we will stand before God and the story of our lives will be publicly told. And it, it, God will evaluate what kind of character were we in the story of the world. And, and, and if you think that's strange, if you think that's a bad thing, listen, that, that gives so much dignity to your life. That think about how God is going to go through all the billions of people who live now, all the billions of people who have ever lived, and one by one, their whole life story, all the details, the thoughts, the actions, all the things. He takes so much care to think through each one, and he takes them deadly seriously. That, what that means is that we, are, we have a tremendous amount of dignity. Our lives have a tremendous amount of meaning. And without a final judgment, our lives don't have meaning. And so we live our lives going towards that day. When we will stand before him, and I say this to you um, because I think it's, it's so important for each of us to at least sometimes in our lives put ourselves before God at the end of our lives and the end of the world. Because it causes us to ask the question, who am I? What is my life about? What am I spending my life on? Am I attending to the matters of my heart? And one of the things that's interesting, you look at this judgment scene in the second paragraph here that Jesus describes, right? This is what he said. And on that, verse 22, on that day, right, that day is the judgment day. That's how Jesus is talking. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, which is quite amazing, that Jesus is saying, I'm the judge, if, you know, if, if you have questions about, does Jesus ever claim to be God? Right here, he's claiming to be the judge of the world, that we all have to give an account to him. Um, yes, he's claiming to be God right here. Then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And what's so interesting is we look at this passage, we see what are Jesus' priorities in judgment. Because look at these people who don't pass the judgment. The first thing is they say, Lord. Lord. These are people who have emotional responses to Jesus. They say, Jesus is my Lord. They got, listen, they got their hands in the air, they're on the knees, they're crying during church. Okay, there is zeal happening in these people. Lord, Lord. And then it says, uh, did we not prophesy in your name? These are people who know the mysteries of God. They have studied the Bible, and they've explained it, and they can explain it to people, and, and, uh, and they're teachers. And they're Christian teachers, right? It says they do these in the name of Jesus. These are Christian teachers with zeal and hearts towards God. And then I uh, says, and, and we cast out demons in your name, and did many uh, mighty works in your name. These are people who are doing Christian ministry. They've actually gone out and they've helped people. They've helped the poor, the people who are, who are weak and hurting. They are... Doing Doing good things. These are people that on every account you would look at them and say, that is what you're supposed to be as a Christian. That's what a Christian's supposed to be. And uh, I would, of course we would say these are all good things, but these are not the things that were a priority to Jesus. He says in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. And uh, you know, you might... Uh, even, you know, look at someone like me. I started a church. I get up and teach the Bible every week. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Jesus all the time. And what Jesus is saying to me in this passage is all of that, when you come and stand before me, I could care less. Now, he cares, he cares. But I'm, you know, I'm overstating. I could care less, it's not my priority. The question for me is, what did you do about your anger? Were you working on loving your wife more? Did you address your fear of man and wanting to please other people? All the things in your heart, did I ever have access to those? Or did you pay no attention to those? Were you just doing religious things and never gave me access to your heart? I never knew you. And this is uh, are you dealing with your heart? And this is the judgment. I never knew you. The defining, this is what Jesus says, the defining thing of your whole life, the most important thing is, does Jesus Christ know you? Now, that might be kind of an interesting question, because Jesus is God, right? And Jesus, so you'd say, Jesus knows everything. Of course he knows me. What does that mean that He? he I never knew you? Now, I, this is one way to maybe understand it. You know, you could imagine that um, maybe you work with someone who you see every day, they're... they're, um, they're maybe moody, maybe they're angry all the time, maybe they're critical of other people, uh, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're lazy, maybe they don't, they don't care for other people, they don't serve other people, and you know that all these things are true with them. And maybe you even know more about their, their family or their life, and you know quite a lot about them, but there's kind of a distance there. And then one day, that person comes up to you, and they say, you know, it occurred to me, I'm really angry. There's something wrong with me. I just cut other people down, and I've cut you down, and I wish I wasn't like that. You didn't learn, you know, and they start telling you all about their life, and you say, well, you know, I work with you every day. I knew all that stuff. <laughs> but until they came and did that to you, you would say, I never knew them, but I knew them in a new way. We were close. We were intimate. There was intimacy. Something transforms. It's not that Jesus just knew you, knew about you, but that he knew you relationally, and that what Jesus is saying is that the center of all life is about this kind of intimacy. And let me just say to all of you, I have to ask you this question. I, I love you. I really do. If you were to stand before Jesus today, would you hear those terrible words? I never knew you. We never dealt with your heart. It was just a, it was a show of religion. It was a going through the motions. Have we talked about those things? Have you opened them up to me, to talk to me? And uh, let me just say, this is not a salvation by works. You need to perform for Jesus. Listen, Jesus will overlook multitudes of sins, of, of you know, greed or whatever's in our hearts. He's perfectly willing. He's died for all of them. He's covered them. But he said, Have you, will you bring them to me? Will you let me address them? Will you let me deal with them? And um, the question is, if we really believe in God's love and, and his goodness and his grace, then are we going to let him handle our hearts? So this leads to the second question. The first, the first question is, what, how, can we, how do we understand our hearts? It's a hidden reality. It's a source of our life. It, we just do what it says, and it's the object of judgment. But, but second, how do we let Jesus care for our hearts? How do we let Jesus care for them um, if, if our hearts are so vital? Your heart is so vital to your life, right? It, 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 it informs all your relationships. It, it, it informs your sense of contentment with your life and a sense of peace, your work, your purpose, your family, your marriage, your children. All these things are influenced by your heart. And so we need, how does Jesus care for them? Three things. The first is this. Jesus forms your heart through teachers, the first thing is that Jesus forms your heart through teachers. Now, uh, it's kind of interesting. We get to the, sermon on the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is about uh, being a disciple of Jesus. How do you live in his kingdom? And then he has this thing about the false prophets at the end, right? He says, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And Jesus said you need to beware of who's influencing you. Who's kind of your guide? Who's your teacher? Who's instructing you about your life? Who do you admire? Who do you want to be like? Right? Because there's kind of this big argument you know, about our hearts and our nature, the, the, um, the nature versus nurture question about our hearts. You know, Some people say, are you just born a certain way? Or do you kind of learn uh, certain patterns from people and from your parents, from your family, and from relationships? And of course, the Bible says both these things are true. Both these things sh- shape you. Um, but Jesus is... Uh, I, Assuming here that in order to care for your heart well, you need a guide. You need someone guiding you, someone speaking into your life, someone addressing things, showing you how to handle your heart. And, uh, you know, I know, I, I look at the, over the course of my life, there's been, uh, God has brought many guides at different times. Of course, you know, my parents are, uh, my... <laughs> um, <laughs> the... Um, <laughs> Sorry, caught him sleeping. All right, so I love him. But, you know, of course, my my parents were the first guides in my life. Um, They taught me to to interact with people, how to understand myself. They gave me a sense of security in my own life. They loved me. They believed me. They supported me. But I've also had pastors who, uh, uh, you know, I... My first pastor was Earl Palmer, a big church down in Seattle. Who I never met him, but he he taught me to love to read. He taught me to love C.S. Lewis. He taught me about expository preaching, what I'm doing right now where I go through the Bibles. Bert Hitchcock was my pastor out out at Weiser Lake Chapel. He taught me to love the church and how my heart needed the church. He taught me about grace. And I've had uh, Mike Kelly, who was here last week. He, He taught me how to be a pastor, how to love people, how to counsel, how to do all these things. You need people in your life who are instructing your heart how to live, how to think, and how to love. And um, who are those people? And let me just say something about all these, all these people. Uh, besides my parents, all the other guides that I've had in my life were never people that sought me out. I've never had someone who came and said, hey, I want to I invest in you. I'm going to teach you these things. They never did that. And the most important guides were people that I went to them. I had questions for them. I said, hey, I don't understand this. This is a sin that I'm struggling with. This is something I don't understand. What can you teach me about this? And going to them and opening my heart and being teachable to them is how, in many ways, God shaped, uh, shaped my heart. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is when you are looking at your guides, looking at the people who are instructing you about your life, What is the thing you're looking for? You're looking for good fruit. Look for good fruit. And what is good fruit? Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you see those fruits in someone, find those people and put yourself around them and ask them about their life. Ask them what God's teaching them and learn from them. Okay? So first, Jesus forms us through God. Second, through teachers. Second, Jesus forms your heart through relationship. Jesus forms your, your heart through relationship. Now this is, of course, true in general with people, that God brings relationships into our life. There's people in our lives who influence and shape our hearts. We learn how to love and to relate and to be, in, to be close and be intimate with people. But fundamentally, your heart is made for relationship with God. right? That's what he says. To, you know, Depart from me. I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. Jesus is demanding intimacy above all else. And I think for some of you, that's frightening, right? Intimacy. For, for someone to behold you, to know you, to know how you think, to know how you really think, and yet to love you and to accept you, to embrace you, to speak to you, to be close to you. And that may, uh, that may be... Uh, I, True with people, but also uh, with God. But your heart was made for intimacy. Your heart was made to be close to people, and especially, though, close to God. And C.S. Lewis, uh, I just reread his his great book called The Four Loves. If you've never read The Four Loves, it's delightful. It's a joy to read. And there's a quote from you on page three of your bulletin. At the end of The Four Loves, one of Lewis's great paragraphs... Where he talks about the fear and the danger of being intimate with people, loving people. But he says that there's an even greater danger in not loving people, and not being close to people, and not being intimate, especially with God. And this is what he says To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And what Jesus says, to be intimate with God, to be intimate with anyone, is a tremendous risk. And yet it is a far greater risk to not be intimate with God. To not have God love you and, and to know you and for other people. To, um, because uh, if you shut yourself off to God and to other people, your heart will shut off. And so your heart is formed by this relationship. And, um, you know, let me address this, because some of you are probably asking the question. I think, I especially think with men, there's this question of, okay, it's probably true for the women as well, but there's this question of, okay, how do I have a relationship? How do I be intimate with Jesus? You know, how do I do that? That seems hard to do. Um, and I think one of the things to see is that it's not, I think we generally, in our kind of evangelical culture, imagine it as this zealous, emotional encounter with God. And there's certainly elements of that to it. But I don't think that's primarily what being, uh, knowing Jesus and Jesus knowing you looks like. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them Will be like a man who built his house on a rock. How Jesus describes knowing Him. This is a verse that comes right after "I never knew you." How He describes it knowing Him is, you hear My words and you do them. And this is not, if you are good, then if you obey God and you do these good things, then God will love you. What happens when you look at the Sermon on the Mount? And Jesus says you need to stay in your, you need to work on your marriage and stay in your marriage. You need to, uh, you know, address your anger. You need to. Um, uh, um, not be anxious and, and give you, be generous with your money and not store up treasures in heaven. As you try to obey any of those things, what it will force you to do is to trust God. I can't do these things, and I need to do them. And so you go to Jesus, you say, I need your grace. And what you find is he's there, and you trust him, and you learn to trust in him. And I think that this is so important, that you learn that trusting relationship with Jesus, because many of us come here, I know for many of us, we come to a, a church like this and we say, I don't want to be alone, I want to be intimate. And and so you look to the people here and you say, I I need relationship, I need community. And let me just say, that's a good thing, you need that. But don't do that skipping over the fact that I need to address Christ first. The thing that makes this community is that we've all come to know Jesus. We've all come to trust in him. And we're only going to have true, close community if we have gone and been intimate with him first. So it is that relationship that defines this community. And this leads to the last thing that I want to say about how Jesus cares for our hearts. First, through teachers, then through a relationship. But last, Jesus forms your heart through his words. Through his words, right? Verse 24 again, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on a rock. And, um, you know, I, I think it's... Uh, many of us, we look at our hearts that are, that are this kind of dark, mysterious uh, depth. And we're even afraid to plunge down. I don't even know what's going on down there in my subconscious. And what kinds of things do I believe or think? What kinds of hurts? What kinds of, of ideas or thoughts? I don't even know what's down in there. And yet Jesus speaks to these crowds and look at their response. He says their word, these words. And then it says in verse 28, And when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching. For uh, for his teaching was one as who had authority, and not as their scribes. The people were speechless when they heard Jesus speak. When they encountered him, when they learned from him, when they followed him, they were speechless. There was a wonder. Way down under the kind of cognitive, uh, rational part of their mind, way deep down in their souls, something began to stir in their imaginations, in their depths. Jesus was making them come alive just by hearing his words and learning from him. Jesus can go way down into our hearts like no one else can. And why is that? Why can Jesus go way down more than anyone else can? It's because he's more than a teacher. And when Jesus says, listen, a good tree bears good fruit. How do I become a tree that bears good fruit? Well, you know what Jesus tells us later in the New Testament, in John 15. He says, I am the, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you abide in me, my words abide in you. How do we become that tree? Jesus is the trunk. (laughs) He's the tree. And I get attached to him by faith, by trusting him, I bear fruit, my heart's transformed. And Jesus says, a house, a wise man builds his house on a rock. Who's the rock? Psalm 62 said, He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Jesus is the rock, He is the vine, He is the rock he's the one who can plunge down into our hearts and give us a new heart. And as I said to my kids, take our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh, give us a new heart that's filled with his spirit. And so as uh, I'll close with this from Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Our hearts are deep waters, they're mysterious, but Jesus is that man who can draw them out and transform and come in supernaturally so we don't have to figure out everything in our hearts. His love transforms us. And so when we believe, when we trust in him, our hearts become new. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we give our hearts to you. There are many uh, things that are frightening to us that come out of our hearts. Would your love drive us to go to you, to cast our burdens on you, to confess our sin to you, that you might send your spirit to live inside of us and wash us? We need you to live in us. Make us a church that does pay attention to our hearts and pays attention to each other's hearts. That we may be the wise men who build our house on the rock. That we may be trees that bear good fruit. And that when we stand before you, you might say that you did know us. And that we knew you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.